just to say a few words about how these practices are usually taught, because I know not all of you have done them before. And it's interesting that even though the Buddha stressed the importance and the power of these practices over and over again, he himself didn't actually give a whole lot of technique, technical instruction on how to do them. And as far as we can tell within the teachings that he gave, the instructions that he gave were simply to, quote, abide with a heart imbued with metta and then radiate this goodwill outwards in all the four compass directions and above and below and all around to cover the entire world. Sounds simple, right? Just abide with a heart imbued with kindness or compassion or joy or equanimity and then radiate it out until it covers the entire world. So I don't know about for you, but for me that's a pretty high starting point. And that might be why later in the tradition, after the Buddha's lifetime, specifically in the Vasudhimaga, which was written by or compiled by Buddhaghosa in Sri Lanka, I think in the 5th century, so almost a thousand years after the Buddha's own lifetime, they systematized these practices and developed the method of reciting phrases, which those of you who've done it before are probably most familiar with. So this is the way of practicing that's most commonly used in the West by people like Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Tara Brach and so on. And it's where we bring to mind a sequence of different people and silently recite these phrases of well-wishing towards them. And the phrases change slightly depending on which of the four practices we're doing. So as I was saying to Adi earlier, metta is that foundation of goodwill. And then when that goodwill turns towards difficulty, it flowers as compassion. So the phrases we use for compassion have that orientation towards well, wishing in the face of suffering. On the other side, when goodwill turns towards what's going well, it flowers as mudita or appreciative joy. So again, the phrases have a slightly different flavor to evoke this quality of joy. And then when joy and compassion are in balance, we get equanimity, which is that really balanced evenness of mind that's not wanting and not not wanting, but completely accepting and okay with however things are. And again, the flavor of phrases for that is slightly different. So the phrases um, are slightly different depending which Brahma-Vihara we're cultivating. But within that Brahma-Vihara, the phrases stay the same for each category of person because we're trying to cultivate this universal quality. So for example... In the sequence, the traditional sequence, we're supposed to start with where it, where it comes most easily. And traditionally in the Vasudhimaga, that was with ourselves. As many of us know, and as many Western teachers have pointed out, that's not always the case, that for ourselves it's easiest. So often we'll start with the next category, which is the benefactor. And the benefactor is a category of person who has helped us, supported us, shown us kindness in some way. Any person where when we think of them, there's just a sense of natural delight or ease or joy or appreciation. 
And then traditionally we go from the benefactor to a good friend to a neutral person, then to a so-called difficult person, and then to all beings everywhere. And one metaphor that's used for this practice is if we think of a waterfall with a series of pools, at the top of the waterfall there's a basin, and as that waterfall fills the basin, then at some point the basin naturally overflows and starts to fill the next basin down the cliff face and so on. And so we start with where it's easy, with ourselves or the benefactor, and when we're metaphorically filled with that, it naturally spills over to the next category. So I think of this as the path of least resistance. And at any point, if we feel like it's not working, that we're blocked in some way, it's fine to just let it go and come back to where it comes most easily, regroup metaphorically, get it going there, and then try again. Can I expand it to the next person? We keep the phrases the same for the people because we're aiming for that universality. So ultimately, there's no distinction between our benefactor and our so-called enemy so for that reason, the phrases stay the same. You know, sometimes people want to make them more relevant. And so they'll say, well, can I just, you know, for my good friend, just say this about them, or there's that about them, and oh, I love the way they do this, and it'd so be great if they could have this experience. And then when it comes to the neutral person, it's, yeah, well, whatever. And then the difficult person, it's just a couple of, yeah, may you be well, may you be happy, may you not be hit by a bus, whatever. And so we can see, you know, that we want to keep the phrases the same so we can see if there's these distinctions that are being made. So could you give an example of a phrase you use for each of those different meditation practices that are on the similar sort of day? I could. Um, so very quickly, meta. May you be safe, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you know peace. Okay, that's the basic. For compassion, I use, um, if I'm doing it for myself, I'm aware of this pain. I care about this pain. May this pain release, and may I know peace. So the invitation is to actually connect with and, and tune into what's difficult with the aspirations that be released. So we're not just wallowing in it for its own sake, but also orienting towards the possibility of being free from it, because that actually protects us from falling into grief. For joy, I use... Um, I do it slightly differently, and in a few weeks I'll be giving a whole talk on that here. But just as a foreshadow, I do like to include myself in joy. Traditionally, that's not the way it's taught, and I'll explain more about that in a few weeks. But So I start with, um, may I appreciate my own good qualities. May I take joy in my good fortune. May this joy continue. May it grow. May it lead to liberation. And then equanimity, there are different flavors of equanimity. Often it's taught in terms of someone that we have a challenging relationship with and have an agenda for, want them to be different in some way. So traditional equanimity phrases are things like, I care about you, 
but I cannot live your life for you. Your happiness or unhappiness depends upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. So that sense of space and acceptance and letting go of controlling the other person. If we're doing it for ourselves or our lives, it can be just, may I open to how it is right now, because this is how it is right now. So it's just that sense of don't fight reality, basically. That give you a sense? Yeah. So there's slightly different emphases in all of them. And as I said, uh, when we do it now, I'll offer some instructions in relation to the benefactor. And the benefactor is, as I said earlier, somebody who has you know, being good to you in some way. If you don't have someone that naturally um, you think of as a benefactor, it can be just any being, including a a pet, any being where when you think of them, there's just a, a flicker of warmth, natural sense of warmth. So it could be perhaps a kindly aunt or uncle or a grandparent or a grandchild or a pet or perhaps a wild animal that comes to your backyard, or really anywhere where there's a natural sense of connection. So I'll offer a relatively traditional way of doing these practices, but hopefully over the next few weeks, and perhaps when I come back, we'll offer these different styles. And definitely on the retreat in May, we'll have chance to practice a lot of different approaches to this so if tonight, for whatever reason, doesn't quite resonate for you, I encourage you to just um, keep exploring different options. Okay, so shall we give it a go? Mm-hmm.